views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, friends and family. Welcome to another fine episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with myself and, of course, Chris Schroeder on the line. Greetings, Chris. Monty, how are you doing today? I I am doing... uh, Superior... superior, I can't say it. Uh, I am superior... And chipper today. Uh, it's just been a. It's been an excellent week. The weather's been perfect. The birds have been singing on, on key. The leaves and the trees are blowing in the right direction. You know, one of those kind of weeks. Well, that is uh, that's <laughs> wonderful. You know, spring uh, here in New Jersey, spring is rearing its head. It's it's trying, <laughs> and we've had some warm days, and then it goes backwards a little bit. Yeah, you can see the you can see the leaves are starting to come out. And uh, that's that's a good thing. Uh, that's this is the time of year I really love. And you guys really deserve it because you've been through a really interesting uh, change of weather in the last year, back and forth, storms and floods and the whole nine yards. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's really been something here. Uh, we're still trying to rebuild a lot of our areas uh, around the shore from uh, from the, the hurricane. So, so super super storm they called it. Yeah, and, and so uh, you know this is a great segue into this episode of, of walking through the twelve steps of twelve traditions because we are on uh, the twelfth step, step twelve. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message and practice these alcoholics and practice these principles on all our affairs. How is it practicing these spiritual principles in all your affairs when you're under the stress of your home flooding? <laughs> you know that's the thing. Uh, uh, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson was really uh, about the coolest uh, co-founder and principal architect of uh, you know of the twelve-step program that you can you can find. He, he as he as he grew and as he developed spiritually, he shifted his uh, his attention. Uh, in the in the beginning, when the when the book Alcoholics Anonymous was written, it was so about the low bottom alcoholic and so about the triage that was necessary uh, to to start putting somebody's life back together. But when you get to the twelve and twelve, Bill has been sober, you know, fifteen or eighteen years, and it's a, you know it's a different perspective. It, certainly, there's still there's still a sense of urgency for the newcomer. Uh, however, there's also now the perspective on someone who has been sober for uh, a, a decade or more. And what happens is you you, uh, you start to see how you need to grow and live as a human being who's, who's sober and who has recovered. And he talked uh, at great length about emotional sobriety. And so often in the book, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, he's talking about emotional 
sobriety. And one of the key aspects of keeping in good fit spiritual condition uh, or, or having, having the right kind of emotional sobriety has to do with practicing the principles in, in all, all your affairs. And when, they, when he was talking about affairs, he was not talking about illicit love affairs. Right. <laughs> he, he was, that affairs were, were basically your dealings, you know, in all of your uh, relationships and in all of your dealings is basically what affairs means. And, uh, and to practice uh, recovery principles in all of those. And, you know, I found it uh, personally, uh, you know, I found when I have applied uh, the, the spiritual principles of recovery in all my affairs, uh, I have found that there is gener- generous results back from either the people I'm dealing with or the, the situations uh, uh, that, that, you know, uh, tend to turn out in my favor one way or another when I use those spiritual principles, even if I don't believe they're the right principles to use if that makes any sense. And, and and here's the thing, because for so long I thought that meant when life gets difficult, I can apply these principles in, in those affairs. But it also is is applicable when life is going great, too, because we can certainly uh, be tempted to maybe pull some shenanigans when things are going our way. And these spiritual principles give us healthy boundaries where we don't do that. Yeah, oh, there's there's no doubt. It, right living is, is incredibly important for the recovered alcoholic or addict. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Because when you don't live to the best of your ability, spiritual principles, you create a disturbance in the force, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And that disturbance can, can be corrosive to your spiritual condition. Without a strong spiritual condition... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be more prone to relapse. You you're gonna you're gonna sink down into the uh, the, the emotional uh, abyss, abyss yeah. of un, of untreated alcoholism or the spiritual malady. You know, so you know a lot of these things are connected, and uh, sometimes they're difficult to understand. They they must be experienced. Uh, that's why a lot of times uh, when you're when you're new. Uh, uh, or you're coming back, or or you're really trying to dig into the recovery process because nothing has worked really well. You, you need to have faith in someone who has experience and to place yourself uh, almost unreservedly under their care and direction so that they can take you through this 12-step process. Uh, if, if you don't, uh, if you don't summon the enthusiasm to do that. Um, what can happen is uh, you you can you can not get very far. Uh, you can uh, you can do what the uh, what how it works says is is you can uh, try to apply half measures and half measures avail us nothing. You would think half measures avail us half. Uh, many times uh, a half-hearted attempt at spiritual living will result in the same relapse as no attempt at spiritual living at all. You, you need you need to be all in. Sure. You know you know what I mean. Yeah, you betcha. Okay, uh, I think we can uh, we can get started. We're on page one hundred and six. We're on the twelfth step. I believe very very wholeheartedly. I believe that um, the first eleven steps are preparation for the work of Alcoholics uh, Anonymous or. Uh, or the work of whatever twelve-step fellowship you happen uh, you happen to be in, 
because uh, because I think they're all preparation for uh, for the twelve step. Because because this twelve step is about carrying the message to other people. This this twelve step is about um, uh, about being able to be of help, especially. Um, especially in uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12th step is all about working with others and helping others. So, uh, so again, uh, the first 11 steps are uh, kind of preparing us to be, uh, to be effective with step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. The joy of living is the theme of AA's 12th step, and action is the key word. Here we turn outward toward our fellow alcoholics who are still in distress. Here we experience the kind of giving that asks no rewards. Here we begin to practice all 12 steps of the program in our daily lives so that we and those about us may find emotional sobriety. When the 12th step is seen in its full implication, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. Our 12th step also says that as a result of practicing all the steps, we have each found something called a spiritual awakening. To new AAs, this often seems like a very dubious and improbable state of affairs. What do you mean when you talk about a spiritual awakening, they ask? Maybe there are as many definitions of spiritual awakenings uh, as there are people who have had them. But certainly, each genuine one has something in common with all the others. And these things which they have in common are not too hard to understand. When a man or a woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his own unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path which tells him he is really going somewhere and that life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he has been transformed because he has laid hold of a source of strength, which in one way or another he had hitherto denied himself. He finds himself in possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love, of which he had thought himself quite incapable. What he has received is a free gift, and yet usually, in some, at least in some small part, he has made himself ready to receive it. Wow, what a great paragraph. You know, many different types of definitions of a spiritual awakening, but, uh, but what they all have in common is that we become able to do, feel, and believe that which we could not do, uh, feel, or believe before with our unaided strength and resources alone. Uh, a new state of consciousness, uh, Monty. Now we're in possession of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love which we were incapable of prior to a spiritual awakening. Do, they, do some of these things ring a bell with you and your experience? They, they do today. Uh, I, you know, as, as you were reading that, I was thinking, um, why, why is it that so many people that I know that are in the, uh, the fellowship – don't seem to have these kind of uh, experiences or they're not acting out in these ways at all. And the, the, the answer kept coming back because they've never made it to step 12. Yeah. They, they never have. They, 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 they get stuck uh, for some reason. 
um, at step three or, or, or four or, or, or maybe at, at six because it's considered a really short step and they, don't, they never really do it or, or whatever. It seems to me like a, a lot of people never really formally work these steps all the way through, Chris. Well, it's more unusual for to find someone who has real experience with these steps in a 12-step uh, fellowship than it is to find people who've never really bothered. And, and, you know, that's scary. I mean, you know, think about it. Think about it like this. Let's say you want to get... You want to get the uh, uh, you want to get armed with the power and the understanding of calculus. So you go to a calculus class and you buy a calculus textbook, uh, but you never open the textbook. All you do is go to the class and you want to raise your hand and you want to talk about uh, calculus and you want to share about calculus and you want to be with other people. Who are who are ha- having an experience with calculus, but you never open up the textbook. You never go through and solve the problems, or learn how to apply calculus to solve problems. That's the same thing with the person who goes into a twelve-step fellowship, money and doesn't open the book Alcoholics Anonymous uh, to learn how to actually uh, go through the steps. Right. Um, it, you know, it wouldn't make any sense, but. That's what that's what happens. Uh, that's what happens all the time uh, in twelve step fellowships. Because listen, the the fellowship is cool. The fellowship is fun. Everybody everybody likes going to meetings, and everybody thinks that the meetings really are the thing. You know, uh, uh, they'll argue with you. They'll they'll tell you, look, it's all about uh, it's all about the meetings for me. And and again, you know, that's that's kind of unfortunate because. The meetings don't treat alcoholism. The meetings don't treat drug addiction. Uh, the, the meetings create an atmosphere of sobriety where someone can, uh, um, you know, hopefully find uh, their way to a recovery process. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yes, it does. And, and you know, th- this last statement here, uh, he finds himself in uh, possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, and selfishness, peace of mind, and love of which he had thought himself quite incapable. Not only did I think at one point that I was such uh, a disgusting individual, totally incapable of of uh, having any of these kinds of, of feelings or, or behaviors, um, I certainly didn't think I deserved them. And then it goes on to say, what he has received is a free gift. I didn't think I was was worthy of any kind of free gift, let alone anyone, even if I worked for it, that I deserve. And then it says, and yet usually, at least in some small part, he has made himself ready to receive it. And that's what happened. I didn't even know it, really. I didn't, I, I can't put my finger on it, on a date, time, and place. But something changed as a result of these steps. A, a, a light went, it got turned on. There was a, a, a repentance, if you will. What I mean by that is a total turning around uh, place where I went in another direction, and I can't pinpoint it exactly. I think I can get pretty close, uh, but it, something different took place than it ever had happened before. Even going back to the the when I was uh, younger and I turned my will and my life over to God earlier in my life, this was a whole different thing, and uh, I felt myself indeed ready to receive 
what God had for me and not feeling like I was such a scumbag that I didn't deserve it. Uh, I was. It was pointed out to me, well, maybe you don't deserve it. That's why it's free. <laughs> yeah, really, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, A's manner of making ready to receive this gift lies in the practice of the 12 steps in our program. So let's consider briefly what we've been trying to do up to this point. Now, this is a, this is, this is a very, very cool paragraph. Uh, this, this particular paragraph, Monty, uh, is, uh, you know, has it all. This is a long, This is probably the longest paragraph in recovery uh, literature, and it's uh, you know it's it's very very cool. So here we go. I'm going to read it uh, through, and then we can we can talk about. It. Step one showed us an amazing paradox. We found that we were totally unable to be rid of the alcohol obsession until we first admitted that we were powerless over it. In step two, we saw that since we could not restore ourselves to sanity, some higher power must necessarily do so if we were to survive. Consequently, in step three, we turned our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. For the time being, we, who were atheist or agnostic, discovered that our own group, or AA as a whole, would suffice as a higher power. Beginning with step four, we commenced to search out the things in ourselves which had brought us to physical, moral, and spiritual bankruptcy. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Looking at step five, we decided that an inventory taken alone wouldn't be enough. We knew we would have to quit the deadly business of living alone with our conflicts and in honesty confide these, confide these things to God and another human being. At step six, many of us balked for the practical reason that we did not wish to have all of our defects of character removed because we still loved some of them too much. Yet, we knew we had to make a settlement with the fundamental principle of sex, sex. So we decided that while we still had some flaws of character that we could not yet relinquish, we ought nevertheless to quit our stubborn, rebellious hanging on to them. We've said to ourselves, this I cannot do today, perhaps, but I can stop crying out, no, never. Then in step seven, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings, such as he would uh, or could, under the conditions of the day we asked. In step eight, we continued our house cleaning, for we saw that we were not only in conflict with ourselves, but also with people and situations in the world in which we live. We had to begin to make our peace, and so we listed the people we had harmed and became willing to set things right. We followed this up in step nine by making direct amends to those concerned, except when it would injure them or other people. By this time, at step ten, we had begun to get a basis for daily living and keenly realized we would need to continue taking personal inventory, and when we were in the wrong, we ought to admit it promptly. In step 11, we saw that if, if a higher power had restored us to sanity and had enabled us to live with some peace of mind in a sorely troubled world, then such a higher power was worth knowing better, by as direct contact as possible. The persistent use of meditation and prayer, we found, did open the channel so that where there had been a trickle, there now was a river which led to sure power and safe guidance from God, as we were increasingly better able to understand Him. Wow, that is some kind of mm. um, some kind of uh, paragraph, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That is full, man. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, when you look at when you look at this as a process, again, I, I want to go back to. One of the things that you hear repeatedly in different 12-step fellowships is this. Uh, these steps are but suggestions. 
and you can take you, you can take them cafeteria style. I, you know, I want to make the case, Monty, that these steps in their entirety create what is known as a spiritual awakening, which is uh, uh, consistent with um, uh, recovery from alcoholism. Right. Uh, so, in their entirety, you need to uh, you need to take these take these steps. Uh, there, it's a it's a suggested program of recovery, not a recovery program of suggestions. Does that make sense? It, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't understand the difference between that. I mean, once you know, you there there are different programs of recovery. I mean, there, there's there's several out there. There's probably a book for every addiction or every compulsivity in the world, right? I mean, addiction to, yeah. to, to gossip, to shopping, to money, to da-da-da, and on and on and on. So you have these different suggested programs of recovery. You pick one, and then you do the whole thing. You don't pick it apart and take what you think you need and leave the rest. You do the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because, because there's power in the process. Uh, if you take bits and pieces and try to assemble them like a jigsaw puzzle and not start at one and go to 12, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get some benefit from some of them in isolation, but you cannot be guaranteed a spiritual awakening as the result of these 12 steps. Right. Uh, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't have a spiritual awakening as a result of something you haven't done. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah you, you know, it's, it's that, that thing about making a cake, right? I mean, if you're going to make a strawberry cake and you leave out three quarters of the ingredients, you're going to just come out with a flat, floury pile of yuck and then turn around and blame everybody else in the kitchen why it wasn't cooked right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I, I, absolutely, absolutely. So so anyway, you know, uh, I think um, I think we, you know, we need to, we need to understand that. We need to be okay with the entirety of the twelve steps. We want to uh, we want to make a commitment to them as quickly as we can. We you know we may be willing to start on step one, two, and three before we can make a commitment on the rest of the steps. But you need to know that that commitment needs needs to come. Yep, it, amen. It needs to come because recovery from alcoholism is the treatment for alcoholism. Sobriety is not the treatment for alcoholism. Recovery from drug addiction is the, is the treatment for drug addiction. Stopping using drugs is not the treatment for drug addiction. There are underlying causes and conditions uh, and spiritual problems in one's life that need healing, or else sobriety will become untenable. Way too often we take our own lives, we go insane, or we relapse. Those are usually the three things that will happen when uh, when you just try to abstain from uh, drugs or you just try to stay sober <clears throat> from alcohol. Does that right. make any sense? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. What do we got here? So practicing these steps, we had a spiritual awakening about which finally there was no question. Looking at those who were only beginning and still doubted themselves, the rest of us were able to see the change setting in. From a great, great numbers of such experiences, we could predict that the doubter who still claimed he hadn't got the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved day group the higher power would presently love God and call him by name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. You, you know, 
you know, listen, you, it almost doesn't matter what your motives are, Monty. If yeah. you if you practice these principles, you will get the result. If you take these steps, you will get the result. You you can be an atheist, you can be an agnostic, but if you honestly and thoroughly go through these steps, by the time you get to step 12, you will have some type of a concept of a power greater than yourself, and you will understand that you need that power greater than yourself, and you will understand that you, you want to know more about that power greater than yourself. And that's, uh, that's sometimes the very, very beginning of spiritual growth for some of us. Um, and, and, and again, uh, um, you know, uh, listen, another thing about the spiritual awakening is this, and if you have not had a spiritual awakening, also, if you're not sure you've had a spiritual awakening, you probably haven't. And if you haven't had a spiritual awakening, it's very apparent to those who have. You know, we're, we're not going to shame you by going up to you and saying, uh, dude, you're spiritually asleep. But we know you are. <laughs> we can recognize yeah. it across the room. You sure can. Uh, all right? Yeah. And, and if you've had a spiritual awakening, there's a thing called being in the fellowship of the Spirit. And what I believe that is, is that's those of us who've had a spiritual awakening, we are in the fellowship of the Spirit. We bond together to, to, you know, to, to experience this wonderful thing called recovery. Now, there's also the spirit of the fellowship, which is basically uh, the spirit that you get going into the different meetings that you participate in. You know, sure. you're, you're going to have friends. You're going to you're going to maybe enjoy the discussion. You're gonna, maybe you're going to like the speaker. That's the spirit spirit of the fellowship. But if you want to survive this thing, you better join us in the fellowship of the spirit. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's such a big difference because. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, one is all about <clears throat> our creator, and the other one is all about our the creation. And, uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I love this part where it says, uh, A group, the higher power, would uh, presently love God and call him by name. Isn't it funny, in some uh, 12-step support meetings, they tell you to get a higher power, and then when you do, you can't talk about him? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, well, well, you know. Listen, I, I think I think certain people that want to be very, very specific about uh, about their particular higher power or about their their brand of religion, sometimes that can be in a, sure. inappropriate. Sometimes that can be a little rude. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, I, I, it, listen, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, have to be. Christianity or something. Oh no! The first thing—that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. But I, I've been in meetings. Uh, you know, I've been in meetings where where a shaman, an American Indian, started talking about his sweat lodge experience and all this other stuff, and I just felt a little left out. You know, I, I'm not yeah. saying I was mad. I just—that's that, not an experience I, I know, and it's probably not an experience I'm gonna have. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. So, uh, and I'm fine with my, uh, my, my, uh, my spiritual religious trajectory. Uh, I, you know, sure. I don't need somebody, uh, you know, uh, alluding to the fact that if I was as hip as they were, I would be doing what they're doing. You know, I, I don't need that. Hey, hey, so, hey, and, you know, Chris, here, here's something that a lot of people don't know about me because they make, they make some assumptions, and I understand where they get them because uh, I'm pretty opinionated, but... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a T-shirt one of these days that says, you know, uh, I got a buddy of mine who wants to make it for me. It says, somebody's got to be right. It might as well be me. 
<laughs> but here's the thing. If somebody was talking about what they believe to be God in a meeting and somebody tried to shoot them down, even though I would might disagree with them, I would probably be one of the first people to stand up and say, leave that guy alone. Yeah, yeah. He can't do that. You know. Um, remember, do you remember uh, Star Trek? Monster? Yeah, yeah. You, 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 do you remember what the prime directive was? Yeah, it was. It was like not to interfere, wasn't it, or something? It, it was. It was. It was. If the, if you land on a planet and the, they are not that advanced, don't give them a ray gun. Right. 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 Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes, 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 maybe we've had 10 or 15 years of really, really s- stiff religious or spiritual training. And, you know, we want to, we want to, uh, we want to clobber somebody with that. Yeah. Uh, remember the prime directive that, it, you know, s- someone needs to come to that on their own for, for a spiritual or a religious experience uh, to be meaningful. One has to own it. One one has to be able to internalize it as a truth of the you know a truth that they sure do. you know I, I think I think uh, I think a phony spirituality or a phony religion is is to just believe someone and not investigate not not try to uh, not try to find out what that means for you. So, you know, so, uh, like, like, one of the things that I used to do with people that I was working with, I, I've been a, um, I've been a spiritual advisor for 20-some years with different people, is, uh, you know, uh, they'll ask for really specific guidance as far as what should I believe. And rather than, rather than tell them, well, what I want you to believe is Christianity, because that's what Chris Schroeder follows as a, as a spiritual path, mm-hmm. sometimes what I'll do is I'll tell them to go into the religious book section of a Barnes & Noble, and, and I will say, look, spend a couple hours in there, pull the books off the shelf, read the back, see what calls to you, see what calls to you, and, and you know, trust, trust in the pull. Trust in what pulls you. You know, I, I would much rather I would much rather you explore uh, some of this stuff so that it, it, it's meaningful and you can own it, than for you to just uh, have let me do all the work. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, and this is the this is the take that we have taken with our two boys. Yeah, they've been raised in a Christian home, but at some point, their relationship with God has got to be theirs, not mom and dad's. And so they've had to do some investigation, and uh, it, it just so happens that it's turned out that way. But, uh, you know, if, if, if it's because of mom and dad, what are they going to do when they're 35 and they get backed in a corner with something and they don't know how to answer it because they are just leaning on everything we told them, you know? It, it, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to do it, Monty. You know, unfortunately, we, you know, you and I are, are, are close to the same age, like within a year or two yeah. of each other. So, so we remember the time where a lot of people were, were, uh, were traumatized uh, and stigmatized by, uh, by uh, abusive religious practitioners. Sure. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mention any specific religions like, like, uh, like the Catholic religion. I, I won't do that. But uh, <laughs> there, there were people who uh, you know, uh, had experiences that were very negative when they were children, mm-hmm. very scary and very abusive and very negative. 
and and you know what what we don't we don't want you know I saw I saw the greatest thing on Facebook the other day. It was a picture of a police officer, and the police officer was saying this. He was saying, "Parents, please don't threaten your children that if they don't behave, the police will come and take them away." Oh. Uh, we want them to call. We want them to feel safe calling us when they're in trouble. So you know the same thing is true with within the religious environment. Please don't, please don't scare people away. We want them to feel welcome in our fellowships. Yeah. When they when they need spiritual sustenance. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I mean, and 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 the the, the abuse that that happened in the sixties and fifties doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not isolated instances of uh, of abuse by by religious uh, 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 leadership. Uh, yeah, uh, leadership, but but it's not as bad as it was when we were kids. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so anyway, you know that's kind of off on a tangent, but uh, uh, I felt the need. To, yeah, it's good good stuff to throw my opinion in there. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you bet. They're going to stick us on an island, you and I, one of these days. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, what about the rest of the 12 step? The wonderful energy it releases and the eager action by which it carries our message to the next suffering alcoholic, and which finally translates the 12 steps into action upon all of our affairs as the payoff, the magnificent reality of Alcoholics Anonymous. Even the newest of newcomers finds undreamed of rewards as he tries to help his brother alcoholic, the one who is even blinder than he. This is indeed the kind of giving that actually demands nothing. He does not expect his brother sufferer to pay him or even to love him. And then he discovers that by the divine paradox of this kind of giving, he has found his own reward, whether his brother has yet received anything or not. His own character may still be gravely defective, but he somehow knows that God has enabled him to make a mighty beginning. And he senses that he stands at the edge of new mysteries, joys, and experiences of which he had never even dreamed. And certainly that is true for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, me and too. And the, the experiences I've had uh, uh, in the last 20-so years has just been crazy. Practically every AA member declares that no satisfaction has been deeper and no joy greater than in a 12-step job well done. To watch the eyes of men and women open with wonder as they move from darkness into light, to see their lives quickly fill with a new purpose and meaning, to see whole families reassembled, to, to see the alcoholic outcast received back into his community in full citizenship, and above all, to watch these people awaken to the presence of a loving God in their lives. These things are the substance of what we receive as we carry A's message to the next alcoholic. And, you know, you never would have convinced me the day uh, I turned myself into treatment or the day I uh, I entered a support group, Bonnie, you never would have convinced me that the true joy that I would get out of my life would be helping other people. I was so self-involved, so self-afflicted, so in bondage to self, so so uh, collapsed in into myself that it was hard for me to even perceive that there was other other people <laughs> and and you know uh, other other people that I, I I should be helping that you know that was so far off the consciousness grid of radar that you know you, you would never have been able to, to talk me into that today I know that uh, the the icing on the cake of my life comes from my work with other people it just does 
Wow, that, that's that's quite a, that's quite a statement. It really is, and I think truth be known, that is the case with many of us. Uh, uh, yeah, to to put other people before ourselves, and uh, and I'm not talking about not taking care of yourself. I'm just talking about that sacrificial kind of love and concern for our fellow human being. I didn't have that. I mean, I, I was I was like. You know, every time I got into a grocery store line with a case of beer, I was wondering why it was taking so bloody long. I know. You know? What what does it matter with these people? Don't they know? Don't they know I need beer? Yeah. (laughs) And and seriously, I mean, we we laugh about it now, but I was ticked off. Don't they know? (laughs) Listen, I'm going to speak for all 12-step fellowships here because there's there's commonality with all of them. And I will basically say this that you 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 may initially go to a 12 step fellowship to get because you're in big trouble and you need sobriety and you need recovery. But if you don't very very soon turn that going to get into going to give, you are not going to get the true benefit of the spiritual life. Right. In other words, there's, there's people who still, to this day, go to meetings as like they're filling up a spiritual gas tank. And, and you know, year after year after year, they continue to do the same thing. And they think through sharing. They think through sharing, they're filling up their gas tank. Like, I need to go and dump. I, I, have, I feel like I need to dump. And, and you know, no, you, you, you don't need to dump. Nobody wants you to dump. If somebody wants you to dump, they're, they're a psychopath. Nobody wants you to come in and dump. You know, what we want you to do is we want you to go through the 12 steps and then come in to give. That's what we want. We don't need dumpers. We need givers. And as, and as you give, your dumping become it becomes less and less needed. <laughs> Let's make that the topic of the month. We don't need dumpers. We need givers. I like that. Bumper, sti- say, bumper stickers all around. <laughs> 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 you know, please don't you please don't use my uh, personal recovery experience for a dumping ground. You know, I, I'm not inviting that. Now, listen, listen, newcomers. You know, uh, many of us uh, put together meetings where newcomers can come and share their problems. But I'll tell you what: if you're still sharing your problem week after week after week, and you're not really a newcomer anymore. You you got work to do, and and listen to just sit back in these meetings and allow people to 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 go on and on and on is not a compassionate thing. Would you allow somebody to come into the hospital with a broken arm and sit in the waiting room and talk, and then leave, and then come back in the next day with a broken arm and sit in the waiting room and talk? Monty, would you allow that to go on year after year, no. or would you say, "Hey, wait a minute, come on"? You know, let's go into the let's go let's go see a doctor. Let's get this arm set. Let's get you. Let's get this arm recovered. You know, I mean, what would be the what would be the merciful thing to do? Yeah, <laughs> shoot him. <laughs> yes. You know, so sometimes the merciful thing to do is is to you know take somebody offline. Yep. You know, don't don't share them. Don't chain them in the meeting. But take them offline and say, "Look, dude, you know, there's there's a there's a recovery process. There's a there's a twelve step process that will that will get you and your life to a point where you don't have these problems, you, and you certainly don't need to share about them. You don't need to come in and really ruin my experience, my spiritual uh, uh, one hour of spiritual spiritual experience here in the meeting. You ruin it." 
you know, by talking about the divorce that's that's been going on for eight months. I don't care. You know, I, what I what I care about is I care about you living spiritual principles. You know, if you want to share about the divorce and how you're applying spiritual principles to your ability to cope with it, you know, that's that's maybe another story. That, that you know, maybe there's a lesson in that. But you know, to just come and dump like it's a bad Bob Newhart show, you got the wrong place. Somebody steered you to the wrong meeting. You know, you don't just put a dollar in the basket and dump. Yeah, so that is, you have the wrong you have the wrong format. You have the wrong place if you think that's that's appropriate. I think I think twelve step fellowships. Uh, I think ninety percent of the criticism people have about them are people that have gone to meetings where they allow that kind of that that kind of garbage to happen. Money. Oh yeah, that and I hear I hear it a lot from people that don't go back. Uh, all they do is talk about their problems. They don't talk about any solution. It's just a bunch of whiners on and on and on, you know, and and they let them talk, they let them do that. I hear the same person saying the same thing and they've been there for 15 years. You know, I yeah, sure. You bet. That's one of the major complaints. Absolutely, absolutely. And so here's the excuse that I hear, though. Here, here's the reason that I, I get. Well, you know, that meeting's a beginner's meeting. And listen, I'll tell you what, I don't even mind if it's a beginner's meeting. And, no. You know, you should, put, you should put together a good format, which is, which is basically, you know, uh, please, uh, you know, we have, we have a, uh, you know, we have a sponsor, we have sponsors available here. We have, you know, uh, even in a beginner meeting, you know, you, you want to tell somebody that their life doesn't have to, uh, to, to be so to bad see, yeah. anymore, you know. Uh, yeah. But in a beginner meeting, it's almost almost appropriate. But I'll, but I'll tell you what, that, you know, uh, I'd say one one meeting out of ten in our area is a beginner's meeting. The rest of them should be about uh, about uh, you know talking talking about that gift, sharing that gift. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sharing sharing the juice of recovery. Yeah, right on. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about it all. Right, here we go. Nor is this the only kind of 12-step work. We sit in AA meetings and listen, not only to receive something ourselves, but to give the reassurance and support which our presence can bring. If our turn, turn comes to speak at a meeting, we again try to carry AA's message. Wasn't this just what we were talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the message of the steps, the message of I have gone through the steps, I have had a spiritual awakening, my life is great. I have challenges, but I now have the tools to be able to get through those challenges. That's what we're supposed to share. Whether our audience is one or many, it is still 12-step work. There are many opportunities, even for those of us who feel unable to speak at meetings or who are so situated that we cannot do much face-to-face 12-step work. We can be the ones who take on the unspectacular but important tasks that make good 12-step work possible perhaps arranging for the coffee and cake after the meeting, where so many skeptical, suspicious newcomers have found confidence and comfort in the laughter and talk. This is 12-step work in the very best sense of the word. Freely ye have received, freely give. It is the core of this part of Step 12. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. I think that there should be coffee makers. I think that there should be cooking people. I think there should be... uh, uh, represent, uh, literature representatives. I think there should be all of that at, at whatever 12-step uh, fellowship you belong to. But please understand that that's, that shouldn't be the only 12-step work you ever do. 
you know, if you if you are the coffee maker and, and that's all you ever do to ever give back, you are shortchanging yourself because the ultimate the ultimate spiritual shot in the arm that you get in in twelve step fellowships is when you take other people through the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate mm-hmm. spiritual shot in the arm. You are not offering somebody recovery when you hand them a cup of coffee. What you're offering is fellowship and uh, camaraderie and maybe a maybe a warm welcome. And that's very important, but it can't stop there. So, you know, some of us have, have gifts. Some of us have uh, the gift of gab. Monty, you and I have the gift of gab. Yeah, you bet. So, so we should be carrying the message of recovery because we have that particular gift. It's... It's, it's certainly, we certainly shouldn't take sole responsibility for this gift. But, you know, that's something that we do very well. Uh, other people may be good at general service or, or inner group or, or central office type of work. Other people, you know, may be really, really good at, uh, at leading and putting meetings together. I think we need to, I think we ultimately need to express uh, our, our God-given gifts uh, in a way that can, they can be beneficial to the fellowship and to recovery in general. Uh, but we also need to understand that the 12-step really is more about sponsorship or taking somebody through the steps than it's about anything else. Yeah, you betcha. You betcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we missed that because I think you said something one time. <clears throat> it, it, You know, a person comes in the rooms, they they – they stay sober for uh, a short amount of time. They get a sponsor. They get into service work, and they'll probably, you know, stay stay sober for for a while. But what happens when they burn out on that? What happens when they can't get their sponsor anymore? What happens if that meeting closes? What happens if the service work position is no longer, a, uh, you know, it's it's time to move on, and you're not interested in uh, the position that's open? What are you going to do then? People, people tend to gravitate away from the fellowships, and uh, a, per, a percentage of those people who gravitate away relapse. Now, I believe that the reason people gravitate away from the fellowships is because they haven't built a good foundation. A good foundation is basically going through the steps and then sponsoring people. If you do that, you will have a crew. You will have a number of people who have had spiritual awakenings as a result of the 12 steps that you have, that you have helped them uh, go through. And they will, they will, for the most part, be very, very close to you for the rest of their lives if they've made it through. Yeah. At least that's, that's my personal experience. Now, when you do that, you've not only, you've not only uh, developed a discipline of going to meetings, you've developed a culture a culture where you're really comfortable and you enjoy being in. Once you've developed that culture, Monty, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? You ain't right. going anywhere. You've established, you, 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 you've invested in other people. And even when you're just fed up with some of them, they just keep showing up. You know what I mean? I, 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 you know, there is a time when people do will give you a call or after a while the you'll see the, on Facebook where you been or da 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 you know that kind of thing i mean i i got really i got to a point after 25 plus years with a specific meeting but i could no more leave 
<clears throat> the fellowship as a whole uh, than the man on the moon. I couldn't do it. Now, maybe five years ago, I could have gotten mad enough and d- done it. Boy, I'm going to rip that bumper sticker off my car. They'll be glad. To, they'll miss me when I'm gone, you know, kind of attitude. Um, but now I've, I've, I've got too much invested. I've got so many friends and, and not just acquaintances, but real deep relationships. I, I could no more just walk away from that than, than, you know, turn myself into a lizard. You know, I just I'm couldn't. In complete, I'm in complete agreement with you. Yeah. Now, now, has it has it all? Has it a lot of the twelve step work you've done built that? Help absolutely build that community. You, absolutely. you bet. So, so if you don't, if you go into a twelve step fellowship, you won't have enough power to stay unless you put enough into it to get the power back. That's right. To, to stay. That's right. So you know, uh, that's that's one of the things I, I, I truly believe. We may often pass through 12-step experiences where we will seem to be temporarily off the beam. These will appear as big setbacks at the time, but will be seen later as stepping stones to better things. For example, we may set our hearts on getting a particular person sobered up, and after doing all we can for months, we see him relapse. Perhaps this will happen in a succession of cases, and we may be deeply discouraged as to our ability to carry AA's message. Or we may encounter the reverse situation in which we are highly elated because we seem to have been successful. Here the temptation is to become rather possessive of these newcomers. Perhaps we try to give them advice about their affairs, which we aren't really competent to give or ought not give at all. Then we are hurt and confused when the advice is rejected, or when it is accepted and brings still greater confusion. By a great deal of ardent 12-step work, we sometimes carry the message to so many alcoholics that they place us in a position of trust. They make us, let us say, the group's chairman. Here again, we are presented with the temptation to overmanage things, and sometimes this results in rebuffs and other consequences which are hard to take. But in the longer run, we clearly realize that these are only the pains of growing up and nothing but good can come from them if we turn more and more to the entire 12 steps for the answers. I love how Bill mm. Wolf takes setbacks and tells him tells us they are growing pains. Yeah. I like I like looking at setbacks as growing pains because if that's true, if these trials and tribulations, Monty, are are, are truly growing pains, then there's some purpose. The suffering is purposeful. Does that make any sense? Uh, yes, it sure does. And and even in my in my in my faith, uh, you know, why is this happening? Well, it's it's happening. It's not it's not there to hurt you. It's there to build you up and make you stronger because something's coming where you're possibly going to need that. And uh, I, yeah, I love the way he puts this too because you can get really discouraged. Uh, and and, and uh, you know, and once once somebody enters into a sponsor sponsee relationship, there's an altruism that takes place that if we're not careful, we become dependent on that sponsor. Or the sponsor wants you to be dependent on them almost, you know. And that's that's something that when I work with people, I let them know right off the bat. You know, whatever I teach you, you've got to check this out on your own, on your own too. I'll show you where to check it out. But, you know, you've got to hold me to, to what I'm telling you because otherwise I could be killing you. You know, I, I am so with you. I basically set the ground rules. If you want to work with me, if you want me as your spiritual advisor to go through the 12 steps, uh, I, I'm going to set some ground rules with you. And every once in a while I get somebody who has some old ideas. And 
uh, you know, I was working with this 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 guy from uh, uh, from Canada, and, and what he would do is he would literally call me at three in the morning, and figure that this is a good time to talk because he he felt like talking, and you know he would just start talking and he listen he'd keep you on the phone for forty five minutes, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I said I said look you know this is not okay this is a this is interfering with my sleep my family's sleep. Uh, why did you think it would be okay to call me at three in the morning? You know, who who gave you that idea? Because because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I gave you some homework. I gave you some step work to do, and I told you, give me a call when it, when it's done. Why are you calling me if it's not done? Yeah, you, you know, yeah. maybe maybe this isn't working because because I only know one way for someone to get to recovered and that's to go through the 12 steps i'm helping you do that why do you want a drama coach why do you want a why do you want me to be your counselor that's that you know where did you get that idea because that's a, that's an old idea and i'll even say that's a bad idea and part of recovery is is you know we're we're asked to let go of our old ideas you thinking i'm i'm taking you on to raise you is an old idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I am simply, I'm simply a guide. Think of me, think of me as a Colorado river rafter guide. We have, we have 12, we have 12 miles to go down this river and I will be your guide. I'll go with you the whole way, but we, we have to maneuver through the rapids and, you know, each step is a set of rapids and I'll help you maneuver through it. But, you know, I'm a guide. I, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not your father. I'm not your boss. I'm you know I'm I'm not your priest. I, I'm not your your uh, uh, lawyer. I'm not your marriage counselor. I'm simply a guide uh, to get you through the rapids and to get you to uh, the one who has all power. That you know that one is God. Uh, you know, uh, it's my job to help you find him now. Does that make any sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, we are out of time, uh, so we're going to stop here at uh, where are we at? Um, uh, now comes the biggest question. We'll we'll pick up we'll pick up there. We'll pick up uh, there, uh, uh, the bottom of page one hundred and twelve, uh, one hundred and eleven. Sorry. Uh, good, good stuff. <laughs> More of the twelfth uh, step next week, my friends. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result. Of these steps, that is key. We try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And uh, that's a mouthful right there. And that's one of the reasons this particular chapter is so long. Uh, but it's, it, it needs to be. Um, because this is, this is the place, listeners, where um, we really start to show what is going on with our relationship with, with our higher power, what is going on in our sobriety, what is going on hopefully in our fellowship with other people, and what this wonderful program is really all about. And if you've never gone through the 12 steps entirely with someone else who has gone through the 12 steps entirely, um, I, I challenge you, encourage you, and I dare you to do it. 
because it will change your life if you do it the way it was set out and, and laid out to be done. It, I promise you it will change your life. It is not for cowards, as someone posted on my YouTube the other day. Uh, that is for sure because there's nothing cowardly about facing this stuff, is there, Chris? No. <laughs> All right. Our email address is take12radio at comcast.net. Until our next broadcast, this is Chris and the Money Man wishing serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. Yeah.